Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have guest minister, Reverend L.J. Harry, who is no stranger to many of you listening. He is a prolific speaker across our movement and has been a tremendous blessing to young people in the United Pentecostal Church and beyond. We're so grateful to have Brother Harry with us, and this message is one you are going to be blessed by. It is titled, Two Altars, and let's get to Brother Harry preaching IBC Chapel. We used to call him LJ, the wordsmith Harry. We love and appreciate his love for doctrine and truth, and it's my high honor to invite him to this lectern today. Would you make him feel welcome here at Indiana Bible College? It is my high, high honor and privilege to get to be here. I love Brother Carson when he had mentioned being in Ohio, and we're both huge Buckeye fans, so we've, we've rejoiced and wept over the years. I know there are Buckeyes in here, so let's just try it. OH. Say, oh, it's one section. All right, awesome. It's all sequestered in one section. It's like, you guys stay over here, and all the other people will be over here. But I love, love Brother Carson, and it was a privilege and honor to get to come to Talmadge every year and get to keynote their youth event. And then to learn, I learned a lot of leadership from him. I learned that as a leader, I don't have to be in the mic all the time. One of the greatest gifts I can give leaders who are following me is to give them the opportunity for God to use them, not just me. And I watched that in, in you, and I admire that, and I've tried to example and model that. But he is a dear, dear friend, and it is an honor to get to be here with him, with all of you, and especially with my daughter. I was able to bring her over. She can't come to preview next week, so she could come today. Kind of a preview of sorts. So McKenna, wherever you are, sweetheart, I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy your time while you're here. I want to read to you out of the book of 2 Kings, if you would please turn. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 10. I love the sound of the rustling of Scripture. It's beautiful. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 10. Scripture reads, Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. He saw an altar that was at Damascus, and King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. Then Uriah the priest built an altar according to all King Ahaz had seen and sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar. He approached the altar and made offerings on it. So he burned his burnt offering and his grain offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of the peace offerings on the altar. And then he brought that old bronze altar which was before the Lord, which was in front of the temple from between the new altar and the house of the Lord. And he stashed it on the north side of the new altar. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest saying, on the great new altar, you'll burn 
the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice, his grain offering, the burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering, their drink offerings. And if I forgot anything else, sprinkle the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice on the new altar, but the bronze altar, that's for me. Thus did Uriah the priest, according to all King Ahaz commanded, and King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts and removed the lavers from them and took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it and put on it a pavement of stones. And he removed the Sabbath pavilion which they had built in the temple. And he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord. And he did all of this on the account of the king of Assyria. I want to preach to you today right in line. I want to shake hands with that song we just sang. I want to preach to you today about two altars. Would you please lift your Bible and ask the Lord to speak to you from his word. We want to exalt the word of God, truth, in this house. Let's pray truth will speak to us today. Jesus, I thank you for what you have already done. Your presence is so rich already in this place. We feel you so very real in this house. Lord God, speak through me. I pray what you've laid on my heart. Then help me to get out of the way so you can do everything you want to do and you can cement this truth in the hearts of every student, every staffer in this place. Lord God, give us a love for this truth, this altar, this message, this gospel. Help us, Jesus, to fall in love with you, to fall in love with your word and never to walk away for anyone or anything. I'm asking you today, God, put it deep in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, speak to us, Lord. And move on us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. King Ahaz packed up his stuff and his staff, and he traveled 225 miles to the city of Damascus. Now, that's a long trek if you're going 70 miles an hour with got air conditioning and YouTube. That's a really long trek without air conditioning and even travel checkers. But he went all the way that way just because he felt it was the least he could do for the king of Assyria who had helped him when the king of Syria, this could get confusing, the king of Syria was pushing him around and bullying him. And so King Ahaz called on the king of Assyria to fight against the king of Syria. That alliance would not come cheap. So Ahaz marched into the house of God and he stripped it of all the gold and the silver. And then he went in his own house and stripped it of all the gold and the silver. And he FedExed all of that to the king of Assyria. That was the price he called for if he was going to wage his war. The king of Assyria gladly took all the gold and the silver and he waged war against King Rezin of Syria and killed him. And King Ahaz saddled up and rode out to thank his new friend and ally and he met up with the king of Assyria in the capital city of Syria, the capital city of Damascus. You've got two wicked, bloodthirsty, type A kings meeting in the capital city of enemy territory. What could possibly go wrong? And that's when King Ahaz saw the altar. Maybe he was on one of those double-decker chariot tours going through Damascus, and he looked out and saw the altar. It was beautiful, much more beautiful than that old eyesore of an altar back in Jerusalem. And it was huge, much bigger, much better than that old altar he had back home. Ahaz was captivated by it. He, he wanted one just like it, had to have one just like it, so he sent a model of that altar back to Uriah the priest along with the dimension designs and full detail. But there's a problem. Ahaz already has an altar back home. When I was a kid, one of my least favorite answers from my mom and dad, and we said, hey, can we, they would say, we have that at home. Uh, yeah, you've heard it. 
You felt it. You felt it right there. Oh, yeah. Mom and dad, can we get ice cream? We have ice cream at home. Can we get a cheeseburger? We have cheeseburgers at home. Can we have a horse? Can't say we have a horse at home because we don't. And they would just say, we have it at home. But now that I'm a dad, I understand why they said that. It means just because you have a credit card doesn't mean you have money. And so I find myself now being a dad saying, hey, good news, girls. We have that at home. But can anybody testify that double scoop of chocolate chip cookie dough from handles and a waffle cone? And you felt that. Tastes a lot better than French vanilla in a styrofoam bowl at home. If Uriah the priest had been doing what God had called him to do, he would have told King Ahaz, all due respect, your majesty, we have an altar. We have one already at home, and it's the one that God designed. But Uriah was not God's man, even though he was called to be. He was not. He was living as the king's yes man. He would do whatever the king told him to do because he was for hire. Uriah was okay with whatever King Ahaz said to do as long as Uriah could keep his job and keep income coming in. So Uriah got the blueprints, glanced at them, and then he gathered the materials and he went right to work building that altar Ahaz saw in Damascus. Before his majesty strode back into Jerusalem, he had already built it. He was finished and he was pretty proud of himself. Going to show it off to his new boss. He's already done. Maybe he'll get a rush bonus for getting it done so quickly. He'll get a promotion or a pay raise. And Uriah did not disappoint. It looked just like the one Ahaz saw in Damascus. And now Ahaz has a problem. He has two altars. And he only has room for one. So which one will he keep? And which one has to go? Would he keep the one God designed and inspired blueprints and gave those to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai? The one had stood that time for nearly 800 years. Moses sought God and found him at that altar. Joshua sought God and found him at that altar. Saul even sought God at that altar. David sought God. Solomon sought God and found him at that altar. A few fugitives even ran to that altar, grabbed a hold of it and found sanctuary and safety at that old altar. That old altar was the place where thousands of innocent animals shed their blood to atone for the sins of millions of guilty Israelites. That altar stood for 800 years to represent repentance to the nation of Israel, and that altar worked. It was larger than all the other furniture in the temple. You could fit everything else in the temple inside that one brazen altar as a constant reminder that God values and demands repentance from his people because God is holy. Everybody who wanted to go into the temple, into that holy of holies to encounter the presence of God where heaven came and touched earth. They had to go past that brazen altar as a reminder that before you ever get into the glory of God, you've got to first go through repentance and approach God in humility because the depth of our relationship with him will only go as deep as our repentance. We will see the glory of God. We will see his righteousness only after we have approached him in humility. And repentance, when we have repented for our wickedness, then can we see his holiness. The depth of our relationship with God will only be as deep or as shallow as our repentance. And so God, when he was planning everything and designing everything, he put that brazen altar right there in front of the temple. Because God designed repentance to be premium in our relationship with him. The only way to get to the glory of God is to come in humility. It was true for them. It's true for us. I grew up in church. I grew up going to church all my life. I love good church. I hope you do too. 
I hope you love to have good church. I hope you do have good church. We certainly are having good church in the chapel. What a beautiful worship service. Hope you have good church over at Calvary. When you go home to visit your home church for the holidays, I hope you have good church at your home church. I hope you have good church at NAYC. I hope you clap your hands and you dance on the fast songs and I hope you lift your hands and you weep on the slow ones. I hope you feel the presence of God every time you come and I hope you feel close to God. And when you go home, I hope you feel better than when you came. But the altar is more than just a place for us to feel good because we can feel God. It is a place for us to repent and get our hearts right with God so we can approach him in his holiness and righteousness. Thank God for an altar where we can repent of our sins and have them taken care of and God can forgive us and God can fill us with his spirit and with power to live a life that glorifies God. That old brazen altar, it's an eyesore. I get it. And it wasn't very pretty to Ahaz, but it was beautiful to God because it represented repentance where people could get their hearts right with him and he could invite them into relationship with him. That second altar it was brand new. Still had that smell of freshly sawn wood. Still had that look of freshly hewn stone. But Ahaz didn't know anything about it because altars don't come with a Carfax. He has no idea what it was used for. What gods were worshipped on that altar. It was built in the city of Damascus, the capital city of Syria. Syria was an idolatrous nation. They served many gods, not just one god. And they did not serve the one true God, Yahweh. So if Ahaz keeps the new altar and gets rid of the old altar, it won't be long before Ahaz isn't worshiping Yahweh anymore because there's not room for two altars. There's only room for one. And every one of us will worship at one of two altars, either the one God designed or the one we designed. I want to stand there in 2 Kings 16. And I want to look Ahaz right in the eye and I want to tell him, Your Majesty, I understand. It's okay. You were away on a business trip. You were still woozy from the war wind. You were probably drunk. That's a dangerous cocktail. You were starstruck from that new altar. You thought it was better, looked better than the one God designed. But it's not. So all you have to do is repent. That's what the altar is for. Go back to that old brazen altar because that's the one God designed. And it's been working now for 800 years. It's been bringing people closer to God for 800 years. You, just like those who came before you, you can seek God at that altar and you will find him there. You can hear from God there. You can get your heart right with God there. All you have to do, Ahaz, is toss the new one, keep the old one. It worked before, it will work again. I've got more altars in my life than I can count and I thank God for it. I have more altars than I've had cheesecake in my life and I've had a lot of cheesecake. I'm a blessed man. I can't count all the altars I've had in my life. I could take you to St. Louisville, Ohio, just a small burg. If you blink, you are through it twice. And I could take you to that altar on Locks Road where in 1992 God filled me with the Spirit for the first time. And I could take you to Ohio Campground where Pastor Ken Gurley preached the dream peddler. And that night, while he was preaching to students, God called me a scrawny electrician son with a soprano voice and a terrible lisp. And God called me into the ministry. I could take you to the altar on Chestnut Street in Mount Vernon, Ohio, where we built an altar during a regularly scheduled Sunday school, high, Sunday school senior high class. I don't remember what Brother Ryan or Brother Price was teaching on that Sunday, but all I do remember is the Spirit of God moved into that basement class. And we turned around on our cold metal folding chairs and we knelt, and as soon as our, feet or our knees hit the carpet, we were in communion with God.
And God sparked a revival in our youth group that spread to the entire church because a group of high schoolers understood if that altar worked before, it will work again. I'm telling you, we don't need a new altar. We don't need a new one. We have the one God gave us. Thank God for the old-fashioned altar. Thank God for a place to get alone with him and hear his voice. Thank God for an opportunity to get right with him and be in relationship with him. I'm thankful for the creativity your creative generation has brought to the church, to the kingdom of God. I'm thankful for all the graphics and the videos and the media and the social media and all the signs and the stage design. And those are great. But listen to me, Pastor to be. Those aren't altars. God's design is still the old-fashioned preaching of the old rugged cross that draws a sinner from our chair to our knees at an old-fashioned altar where we can pray and get our hearts right with God again. Thank God for the altar. We need an altar in here. We need an altar in the classrooms. We need an altar in the youth room. We need an altar in our home church. We need an altar in the hyphen room, in the kids' chapel, in the living room. Every home needs an altar. We need an altar. We need an altar everywhere we go at work, in the dorm room, everywhere we go. We need to build altars like the one God designed. And we don't build them with brick and stone. We build them with prayer and with repentance and brokenness and meekness and humility. And our prayer goes up to God because he's the only one who can hear and help. And he listens. The Almighty listens when we kneel at his altar. Ahaz was so excited, he decided this new altar is just too good to waste. We build it, we can't get rid of it. We don't want to get rid of it. It's newer, which makes it better, right? So he had Uriah move the old brazen altar away from its prominent place in front of the temple. And he stashed it to the north of the new altar. Off to the side, almost like something you would set aside to go to goodwill because you don't need it anymore. You have something better. We've upgraded it. And there's not room for two. So we've got to get rid of one. What we do with God's altar, the God who carved out the mountains and sculpted the oceans, who designed this brazen altar. Ahaz commanded Uriah, the priest, to command everybody to start worshiping God on the new altar. Every offering will come on that new altar. Every time you want to come and worship, you're going to worship on this new altar. It was our design. We like it. It's better than the old one. I mean, what's the big deal anyways? Isn't it just enough to have an altar? Isn't just planting a church better than planting no church? Does it matter what kind of altar we have? The new altar is bigger, it's better, it's newer than the old one. It doesn't have all the old features the old one does, but it, it has some new features the old one doesn't. The difference is the, new, the old one's been around for 800 years. Here's the big deal. The big deal is God designed the old one. Man designed the new one. And the old one worked. And the new one doesn't. After Ahaz moved God's altar, everything went downhill. He chopped up another piece of furniture in the temple, and then he replaced it, and then he removed the king's entrance from his house to God's house. Some scholars believe it was the only entrance the king used to get from his house to God's house. So when he chopped that down, he was making a public declaration that I don't have to go to church anymore. I've got a new altar. And according to 2 Chronicles 28, King Ahaz finally closed the doors to the temple because nobody 
needs to go to church anymore. We've got a new altar. Ahaz was one of Judah's most wicked kings, but after a short while, he was in deep trouble. And so he turned to his old buddy, the king of Assyria, for help. But his old buddy turned on him and attacked him. And Ahaz finally realized, I can't get help from man. I need divine help. This is a great opportunity, Brother Carson. For Ahaz to walk to the north side of the new altar and say, God, I'm so sorry I left you here and stashed you over here. So sorry I replaced you with that, but I need you. And I believe if he had grabbed a hold of the horns of that old altar and said, God, would you forgive me and help me that God would have because God did before. And I believe he would have done again. But Ahaz was so spiritually overdrawn that rather than call out to heaven for help, he called out to the gods, whoever they were, on the new altar. And heaven was silent. Ahaz, you should have left that old altar alone. Would you stand with me, please? I preach to tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. Yes, I subscribe to your podcast. Our message is 2,000 years old. Some think it's time for an upgrade. Maybe a more attractive message with less miles on it, less blood in it. A message absent a bludgeoned Savior on a rugged cross. And I'll admit, the old-fashioned gospel, it's not high-tech, but it works. <laughs> the lovely and I were in jail together. We were visiting. <laughs> we're having a jail service the week of Easter, and I'm, I'm telling the story, the gospel story. I'm just telling them how Jesus, God, loved us enough. He came in flesh, and he laid down his life, gave his life on a cross so we could live. And While I'm telling the story, these guys who are facing felonies in prison time are leaning forward to hear the story, and the lovely stopped me long enough. She goes, hang on just a second. Hang on, let me ask you a question. How many of you have never heard this story? Half of them raised their hand. Half of them in rural Mount Vernon, Ohio, in the buckle of the Bible belt. I've never heard the gospel. And when I finished telling the gospel, the simple gospel that we take for granted, that we think we need to change to make it more attractive, more relevant, more... One of those big burly guys hugged me with tears streaming down his face. I've never felt love like that before. And a denominational man who was with us is kind of seeing how we do jail ministry. Walking out of the jail that night, he looked to Andrea and me and he said, Is it always that powerful? Yes, sir, it is. You know why? Because the old altar still works. Would you enter into a covenant with God right now while you're praying?
whether where you stand or here at this front area of the altar, would you enter into covenant with God no matter who pressures me, no matter who bribes me, no matter who tempts me, no matter who tries to draw me away. I'm going to leave the old altar alone. It's worked before. I'm not moving it. I'm not changing it. I'm not going to try to upgrade from it. I'm going to live what I'm saying. I'm going to love this truth and I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to love this old altar. I'm going to find you on this old altar. I'm going to seek you and find you there. If the church isn't growing as fast as I want to, I'm not going to try to build a new altar. I'm just going to stay at the old one. I'm going to keep on my knees until I hear from you on what you want me to do. But I'm not going to try to upgrade it just to draw a crowd. I'm going to do my very best to stay at this old altar. I'm going to grab a hold of the horns of this old altar and I'm not letting go of it, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, when I write music, I'm going to write music that glorifies you. I'm going to write music that lifts up your name, not mine. I want you to be known, not me. I'm going to love this old altar.